Bolt your windows. Lock your doors. Check your closets. Look under your bed. And then, prepare yourself. For it's another episode of Dark Night of the Podcast. Whoa! Tuesday, I am fading into your arms so I can breathe the pieces, pieces, pieces of me. You know, <laughs> you know what inspired that, Troy? <laughs> I wonder what what could possibly inspire an, an Ashley Simpson song. Um, well. Normally nothing in my life, but for some reason, ever said you said ever since you said that um, we were going to be watching the focus of today, which I don't actually want to say the title if they haven't already guessed it. That's your place. All the pieces. But ever since you said pieces, <laughs> pieces of me. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's been haunting me. That song has been haunting me. I can't get it out of my mind, and so I just had a. Sh- Share that with everybody. Well, you know what? If there is ever a remake to this movie, we goddamn know what the theme song is going to be, right? Ashley Simpson, you better give the right. Absolutely. But yeah, no. So we are are talking about the 19, what is this? 1982, I believe. Slasher flick pieces. Pieces. I think it's 82 or 83. It might be 83. Yeah. But um, you'd never seen it before, Roger, right? No, I had not. But this is one of those films where I've seen the opening sequence I've actually seen on a compilation of like iconic kills. I've definitely absolutely seen it before. And so I've always wanted to see it. I never got my hands on the full title and it just never came to mind until you brought it up. And then I was like, I'm finding it. And I did. Thank you, Tubi. Was it exactly what you thought it was? Isn't that the tagline? It's exactly what you think it is. Was it exactly? What oh, it, it's. It's so much more. It's so much more. It surpassed my expectations in a lot of ways. Uh, for Some for the better, some for the worse. But overall, I mean, like, I'll be putting this one back on again real soon. Because is the entertainment factor there? Absolutely. This movie's absurd. This movie gives me way more than I ever anticipated getting into it. And um, I feel like this is a film that you can watch 10 times over and constantly be entertained by it because of the level of absurdity and unrealism. Yes, it is quite that is you know that is a that's the perfect word to describe this movie I think absurd. absurd absurd but the entertainment value on this is through the fucking roof it's probably one of the more entertaining slasher flicks from the 80s that you just put on and just I mean it's it, it's unapo- it's unapologetic for what it is no fucks are given it knows exactly what it is it it's, makes no apologies and it just goes full throttle with the with the violence, the absurdity, the over-the-topness, it's just a crazy... The nudity. The nudity. There's a lot oh, of nudity. Oh, you get male. You get penis. Hello. Oh, I'll, I'll say probably... It, it, you can say what you fucking want about pieces, but when it comes to probably the best full frontal dick shot I've seen in a, in a motion picture that's not a porn... It's there in all its glory. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Oh, my God. 
It's uncut glory, and it's thick. We'll get to it. We'll get to it. We got lots of things. Uh, before that, Troy. I mean, like, I I'm so carried away with pieces. <laughs> I have so many things I want to say. Um, but prior to that, like, you had a very big weekend, and it's very horror related. Yeah. So I think we should only take a moment to discuss your festival. How was it? You know, it was amazing. the 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 turnout was incredible. The Fans that that came, that the the attendees had a blast. The feedback has been extremely positive. Uh, the filmmakers that were in attendance had a blast. Uh, the screening rooms all weekend were full, which I was very happy about that because a lot of times when you have a convention that has a film festival side to it, that has you know the the celebrities, the vendors, a lot of times the film festivals, the the film screening rooms are not full. People want to be out. In the mix of things, that was not the case this weekend. This the uh, screening rooms were completely full. Yes, um, the filmmakers that were in attendance had a blast. Uh, my job pretty much all weekend was running the screening rooms. I got to interact with filmmakers, do Q and A's with them. Uh, you know, talk to the audience about the films that were screening and just having a, a fun time. It was a little overwhelming because you know I was in the screening room Friday from four to midnight, Saturday from eleven a.m. to eleven p.m. I didn't really get to go out among the festival that much, but it was perfectly fine because I had a blast. I got to meet a lot of great people, great filmmakers, and then I got to play Oscar host on Sunday, and that was a blast. I loved it with our award ceremony. Uh, listen, the photos, the photos looked amazing. Um, I saw so much. I mean, obviously, you and I have we run with the same circles. We know a lot of the same people, but overall, like the volume of news about the film festival, the Houston Horror Film Festival. Let's just be clear for those of you. Those of you who are first timers, because I'm sure there's so many of you uh, listening to our our show, um, but uh, no, overall, like the the volume of, of photos and just uh, media going up about it, it seemed like it, you guys had a great turnout. I think people were missing these experiences. It sounded nothing but positive. I saw so much positive feedback, so I'm hap- so happy for you guys. The photo ops looked so fun. Scout Taylor Compton looks like a blast to hang oh, out she with. Was a blast. I loved. Her dress, I want to wear her dress, that blue dress she was wearing. Get out of town, Scout Taylor Taylor Compton. Uh, But yeah, overall, it just looked like such a good time. I'm so happy for you and for everyone on your team. Yeah, like I said, it was a lot of fun. I had a a great weekend. Uh, You know, Saturday night after, you know, sitting in the screening rooms for 10, for 12 hours, literally running two screening rooms on Saturday, I got to have a nice drink with Naomi Grossman at the after party, you know, for Pepper from American Horror Story. And she is the sweet, she's the sweetest woman ever. We just sat and had drinks and just chatted away so yeah it was it was a lot of fun we are already planning for next year we already outgrew our venue so friday um we are going to look at a possible new venue for the event because yeah we we outgrew the little marriott hobby which was very good to us but you know space wise it was we had over i think about 2500 people through the entire weekend we sold out we sold out the hotel um it was it was crazy. It was a lot of fun. Hopefully, you know, next year you'll get to maybe venture down to Houston. You know, now with me moving away, I'm going to have mm-hmm. to venture down to Houston and spend the week in Houston for the Houston Horror Film Festival to help, you know, with with all of that stuff, which is perfectly okay with me. Yeah, like I said last time, it's a great excuse for you to get back there and and visit those people that you care about and help help you create such a kick-ass event, honestly, for horror fans. So that's a good excuse for you to go back and visit. And um, I definitely intend uh, on attending one of these next few years. I really want to. You definitely should. 
I mean, we had some, we had a lot of indie filmmakers there. Drew Marvick, um, who did Pool Party Massacre, was there. Uh, we had a we had a lot of people. It was it was a lot of fun. I was surprised at how many people came from out of town and just uh, Tommy Faircloth, who runs the Crimson Screen Horror Film Festival, was there. He came and um, he's a filmmaker. He did A Nun's Curse, Family Possessions, Brindle and Head from the late '90s. So it was cool to see these people just come and just have a blast and and realize this was something that Houston needed and I could be part of you know bringing it to. Houston, along with obviously my partner Tony and our uh, other helper Scott Fontenot, who's been a amazing help. So it was a lot of fun. I'm glad, and we're looking, we're ready and gearing for 2022. I can't wait. Yeah. So film submissions for 2022 should open soon. Oh. So stay tuned. Uh, and we have a cool trophy. It was really cool having filmmakers in attendance to actually accept the awards. That was fun. But yeah, yeah, enough about that. Follow it on social media, Houston Horror Film Festival on Facebook, on Instagram, and you can learn all about it. We have more pressing things to talk about, such as chainsaws and nude women puzzles and all that fun stuff. So what about and you? Big, big uncut dicks. <laughs> oh, man. You know, honestly, I, 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 I got nothing, which is all fine and good. I have a few things coming up in the next few weeks. I'm filming a movie called Leviticus. It's a mm. it's a um, gay slasher with some religious roots. Um, yeah, it's going to be fun. But honestly, no, I, I finally was able to just have a week, a full week here back in the States. Nothing really going on. That was great. I'm kind of, you know, getting my bearings. Um, and yeah, so so no, this has been a good week. And I'm, I'm kind of just taking some time to get some of my pers- personal projects uh, wrapped up before I move on to the next few. So I, I feel in the next couple episodes, listeners, you may hear some exciting news from me about some things coming up. I'm very, uh, very excited, but I don't want to speak too soon and jinx myself, you know? So yeah, I get it. I get it. Awesome. Awesome. So yeah. So yeah, there you go. We are, you know, we both, have we're back some, some cool things in the world. Yeah, we're, we're back. back. And we, uh, what a, um, what a, Great film to talk about following the Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2003 that we did last week. We got to talk about because, as I mentioned, I picked this specifically because it has in common a chainsaw. Because you know how um, insightfully I am, uh, insightful I am with 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 theme and and, and things like that. So you know, I, I go I go really deep when when I choose films with a theme. And you know, as you can tell, chainsaw, chainsaw, yeah. that's my theme, chainsaw. Not just chainsaw, chainsaw, chainsaw. <laughs> Double Chainsaws the galore <laughs> excitement. <laughs> there are chainsaws laying around this campus. Like every every building in this campus has a chainsaw. It's just, they're just laying around. Well, just one of the many mind-boggling aspects of this movie is the actual volume of chainsaws and accessibility of chainsaws uh, scattered throughout the whole film. Uh, but no, yes, you're absolutely right. Uh, what a what a fine title. To follow up our last entry, and I, I think that this one takes chainsaws to a whole other level, a level that I did not anticipate, and I'm very excited to discuss it with you. I, I feel this one is, this is a Troy classic pieces. <laughs> well, you know, the box art when I was a kid at the video, the Ma and Pa video stores in my little neighborhood back in Davenport, Iowa, the box art always intrigued me with the chainsaw and the, the pieces of the, the woman the kind of sewn together on the front, the classic red VHS box always intrigued yeah. me. And I got to see this and I, I remember like thinking or being told whatever, that this was like one of the most violent gory films ever made. It was a big deal to, to watch it when you try to get a hold of it when you were a kid, because it was considered, you know, so 
graphic and gory. And I mean, it is gore. It's pretty gory. It's pretty gory. Um, yeah. There are some really brutal death scenes in this film. Uh, some of, yeah, yeah, some of them are super effective. Some of them are a little hokey. But overall, I think, yeah, this one really is a violent, gory film. Um, and it's pieces. It's, yeah. it's directed by J. Scott P. Picare? I, I I hope I'm saying that right. Did you did you look at who the director was? You know, man, this is one where I figured that, <laughs> that was going to be your duty. I <laughs> yeah, see, and I already screwed it up. It's it's J. Picare Simon. Oh yeah, Juan Picare Simon. So he he directed this. So um, good on yeah. him. He, <laughs> it looks like he's done a lot of like he direct. He, direct, he wrote Slugs. Oh, Slugs. a classic. I did read that this title was actually released in Spain, I believe, before the U.S. And this does explain why there's a lot of dubbing throughout. Yeah, it, I think it must. Yeah, I think Juan Piquer Samón. I think he must be a Spanish director. You know, so it starts in, which is interesting. I, I think, you know, this was like the height of the slasher craze in America. So I think even though these filmmakers were not American, they, um, he's from Madrid, Spain. He is a Spanish filmmaker, but a lot of these foreign filmmakers were trying to like copy the 80 slasher American kind of formula. And this one follows it very well for the most part. And, um, yeah. So you get kind of this 80 Typical American 80s slasher flick with this film, but it is, like you said, embedded with a lot of um, characters that have strong accents, a lot of very obvious dubbing, uh, a lot of Italian uh, giallo influences with this film. So it is a, it, it is an interesting film in that respect. But it, it starts in Boston in 1942 with a yeah. little boy who is putting a puzzle together, sitting on the floor putting a, bu- a puzzle together, when his mother in this lavish blue dress that I want. Vibrant. Vibrant, <laughs> lavish. I need to see a drag queen perform Ashley Simpson's pieces of me in this dress. That's what I need. And at the end, get chainsawed into the head. <laughs> I didn't mean to spoil it. but <laughs> The mother comes in and sees that it is a puzzle of a nude woman. And she flips her shit on this little boy. She slaps him. She calls him a dirty-minded little brat like your father. And then she's like, well, your father, I can tell you a few things about him. And she smashes a mirror. She takes the father's picture and smashes it into a mirror. This bitch goes off. And she demands... Yeah, it escalates real fast. It escalates real fast. So, And you can tell, obviously, maybe that this kid, this mother is like crazy and this happens all the time. Because she demands the kid go get a trash bag so she can start throwing all of this lewd material away, this puzzle. And then she finds some porn magazines. And as she's screaming for him to bring in a plastic garbage bag, he comes up behind her with an axe and proceeds to whack her in the head with the axe in a very violent manner. Yeah. I mean. Very violent. Yeah, the reveal shots of her are pretty... um pretty effective because when you're saying it's got like the giallo vibes uh, a lot of that comes in like the usage of color a lot of the like the rich tones and the red of the blood yeah i mean which we've talked about before in other films it really does pop here though uh there are a lot of very gory gory deaths and the usage of blood is very prominent and it is that red almost like paint red blood uh but this this opening whole sequence as i said yeah it escalates and the mom is losing her shit 
pretty quick over this new puzzle, which is uh, pretty tame, all things considered, but she is not happy, and it goes from zero to 60 real fast. Um, the woman is, is giving her all in the performance, too. I mean, this was her moment to shine, and shine she does do. Uh, she's <laughs> eating all the, uh, chewing all the scenery. But yeah, the, the kill itself is, is really a standout moment. And like, would I say this is a polished opening? Um, not really. Would I say it's like a strong starting note in the sense of like the scape and the, um, the overall like scope in the budget of the film? No, it, it doesn't. I mean, it's a simple scene, but the kill is the standout moment and as it should be. I'll also say not starting in 1942, um, that right there already is like kind of a blatant hint when you do the time jump of, of things to come. Yeah. 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 We were going to talk about that because they try, this film is framed as a whodunit, right? Yeah. But anybody with a brain knowing that the film starts in 1942 and then knowing that the killer is the same, knowing the killer is the same is the kid because the next scene we are very made very aware that it's obviously the kid 40 right. years later or whatever, however many years later it is. So anybody with a brain can do the math and kind of deduce in the cast, okay, who's old enough to be the killer? Because they try to throw a lot of red herrings in and it just doesn't work because you know, no, it's not this 20-year-old college student that's killing people because he wasn't alive in 1942. But anyway, so the scene progresses. The kid then proceeds to get a saw and saw his mother's head off. Okay, it's not enough that he whacked her to death with an axe. He saws her head off. In the meantime, there's this like old bitty nosy neighbor that's like knocking on the door, freaking out, and she goes and gets the police. And the police come in, and the little boy hears the police come in, so he actually hides in the closet. And the old bitty and the two police officers come in the room, and it's just covered in blood. They open one of the closets, and the mother's head is sitting on the dre- on the dresser in the closet. And I, there is like this is hilarious because it really is a non reaction by everyone involved. I don't know if you caught that. The old lady goes, "Oh goodness!" And like none of the cops say anything. You just saw, you see a decapitated head sitting on a dresser, and the old lady's like, "Oh goodness!" And the cops just shut the door, and they're like, "Oh okay, well." Uh, yeah. Even even the effect itself, like you get you get a close up of it, and of course it's on like a cabinet that goes all the way to the floor because you know like they actually had the actress in it. I'm assuming, yeah. Um, but then it cuts to like a shot of like the like a wide shot of like the head like on the table in the background, and it's like a blatantly different. It's like a fake, like a very fake head. And it, I mean, this movie does not do a lot to cover up its effects. I'll say this right now: a scene might be well executed in the sense of how it plays out, but that doesn't mean every effect hits it, hits the nail on the head. You know, I mean, there are several times. <laughs> oh yeah. There are several times, but I just liked the fact that there was like a non-reaction. I mean, yeah. yeah. And then the little boy is in the next closet and he, they, the police open the closet door and the little boy's in there and he's like, Oh, bit, bit, big man, big man. Where's so he's obviously trying to make it sound like someone came in and killed his mom. And, the police just accept it, apparently. Like, there's no investigation. There's no, like, fingerprinting. There's no, like, hey, there's an axe laying right on the floor because the axe is still there. Yeah, the child is covered in blood. Yes. Did they take fingerprints or no? They just believe this little boy. And what did he do with the body? Like, he saw the head off, but the body is not in the room. So how did this little eight-year-old boy, what did he do with the body is what I want to know. Let's also be clear. This movie is chock full of plot holes and like tw- 
twists that make absolutely no sense. Like, pretty quickly you learn that the killer, the focal killer, who is obviously the boy, still has still has the dress and the, the shoes of the mother doused in, in red paint. But, I mean, I'm sorry. Yes. How does he have them? Like, how... I, that's what I was going to ask. Did the police literally right. do no investigation like at all? Because it's 40 and then it flashes forward to 40 years later. And it's, it's a scene of like the killer, his hands going through the drawer. He pulls out a box and he had, he still, he has the bloody dress. He has the high heels. How did he get this stuff? And the blood still looks like freshes. Like <laughs> it's not like brown with age. It's like bright red. <laughs> no, it's, it's bright red. It's 40 years late. I would just wonder this. Okay. This, this film, let's be honest here. This film is full of the most shoddiest police work detective I've ever fucking seen. In oh my, my God. Every cop in this film oh my is God. incompetent. Uh, it is literally, I'd say like 70% of, percent of my notes are regarding <laughs> the poor police work and like the poor choices made by all adults in this film. I mean, when you sit down and you actually like, if I were to sit down and read to you the basic plot of this film, it makes absolutely no sense. I mean, honestly, the plot line is Mary an award-winning tennis coach is undercover at a college <laughs> campus to help identify a chain wielding killer. <laughs> like sign me up. But also, that makes no sense at all. So after we get the scene, knowing now that the killer, it's 40 years later. Again, anybody that can do math will figure out who the killer is right away. But it cuts to this scene. And what is with these fucking random scenes in this film? There are so many just scenes that are random that have nothing to do with the plot. Nothing. Because it cuts to this girl on a skateboard. She has no business being on the skateboard. No, she's going down. Her her hands are flailing in the air. She's smiling, but like she's like (laughs) awkwardly like I'm scared for her. And understandably so, because as she's skating down the sidewalk, she apparently, I'm meant to assume, makes makes a full impact with a sheet of plate glass that two men are carrying, like a massive mirror. And she appears to collide with it and it causes a very dramatic shatter effect transition that is never addressed again. No, you never you don't know who this girl is, what happened to her, why is it important that we're seeing her on a skateboard crash into a mirror? It's never addressed again. Never addressed again. I mean to the point that like that is the same girl that's sunbathing, correct? I thought I think so. Is it? I thought it was, but how is she sunbathing? Wouldn't she have cuts all over her body? I would think she'd be dead. But I Yeah, I mean she, <laughs> I have no idea what that was supposed to be other than like maybe they cut a scene or just lost footage. It really it makes absolutely no sense. But okay. At least it sets the expectation level for the rest of the movie like keep your expectations low with this film you're gonna have fun it's going to be enjoyable but you're constantly going to be questioning every decision everyone makes yeah and now we cut back to the killer who pulls a he he pulls the puzzle out of the drawer now and now we see okay he has the same puzzle he's putting it together he needs a head because the head is put together where does he get the head? Well, lo and behold, the very next scene, the girl on the skateboard that just crashed into a plate glass window apparently is now perfectly fine. Now a scratch on her. Uh, she's laying in the grass studying uh, when her little short, short skirt, her underwear hanging out. And this guy, we think he's a, a lawn care worker. He's wearing like a, a bee 
hive co- thing covering his face and he has a chainsaw and he starts the chainsaw and she's like oh are you gonna be a, a while because i'll leave he's like no ma'am only a few seconds and he she goes back to her reading he comes up and saws her fucking head off in broad daylight on a college campus her head like flips through the air it flies it's through very, the air it's very fake but it's hilarious and there's a blood splatter like a massive splatter <laughs> and then her body is revealed and it's like, I mean, it's a good effect, I suppose, all things considered. But like, it's like, it looks like she like buried her head into the soil and then they just like covered it with gore. Like, it's not really. No, the the body looks like, you know how at Halloween when people try to make scarecrows and they take pants and just stuff yes. the pants with like whatever to make it look like they're, that's what it looks yeah, like. Yeah, it's not. I mean, like, uh, this movie doesn't really start off on the strongest foot. I don't want you guys to get 10 minutes into this movie and give up, okay? We're telling you right now, it only gets better. By better, I don't mean it gets ever gets great, but God, it's fun. Uh, but yeah, this opening kill, it really is kind of absurd. Like, again, the head flipping, I was just like, really? That looks awful. <laughs> but uh, but it's fun. And like the, another thing about this movie is you get introduced to a character and they die right away. You never know who you're following until maybe halfway into the film. You don't even know who the lead characters really are. Yeah, that's, yeah. I mean, the, the, the this, this film, you know, introduces characters basically to kill them off. Yeah. And, you know, it, it's, I guess you could argue or i'm sure it has been argued that the film is very misogynistic um because of the way it deals with the women in the film are are the ones that are brutally brutally murdered and you have all these like sexual overtones of the puzzle and it's just kind of sleazy but that's part of its charm i think like i said i I think this movie this movie doesn't take itself seriously so i mean i i don't really think that we as the audience probably should yeah i feel like you're right with like the whole misogynistic aspect like it's there it's there women in this are fragile creatures like there is not a single woman who like rises up there's a focal woman like a female at the center of the story but she's really not presented to be anything other than kind of bumbling um and and quite the tennis star (laughs) But but overall, yeah, the women in this are um, never really um, are given the opportunity, are granted the opportunity to step up as strong female heroines. They're always the damsel in distress, and often the are rendered nothing but limbs and torsos by the end of it. Pretty much, that's what it is. That's what it is. It's the women women here are definitely. Uh, treated as objects. Um, I mean, it's the film's called Pieces for crying out loud. So, um, okay. So the police show up at campus, obviously, and they're they're there to talk to the dean. We get introduced to the dean of the college, who is this like very you know proper older gentleman with a English accent that's very uh, theatrical. Like it's very proper, very stern, stern theatrical. Yeah. yeah, he almost gives off a Tim Curry vibe, kind of like a Tim like the. The way he speaks, like the the form of British he uses, is very it's very like ho, ho, ho. <laughs> which at the end of the movie doesn't. We'll get there. Yeah, the British accent does make zero yeah. sense. There's a random scene of these kids that are like, did you see that the kids are smoking pot in the hallway of the school? And there's this like girl. They're talking about 
how the new waterbed was installed and this girl is like oh there's the most beautiful thing in the world is smoking pot and fucking on a waterbed yeah all of these kids are are dubbed first of all so it's very awkward and like when i say dubbed it's like blatantly obvious all of the voices seem very disconnected but this whole sequence of them smoking in the hallway and this the professor the one one of the focal professors walks by and she basically is like watch watch what i do and she goes up and tries to like use her tits to seduce him and it obviously just makes this guy uncomfortable and um he's the professor has like a very creepy thing going on he's got like a mustache and piercing blue eyes but um they're definitely trying to think give this guy a red herring vibe right off the bat in this moment with this girl but it just doesn't translate and i don't think you ever see any of these kids come back again do you no no she's like oh my friends say my where are my where are your pectorals because my friends say mine are weird (laughs) yeah yeah it's just weird it just doesn't have anything to do with the plot right no not at all but that's perfect Professor Brown, yes, and he's very much made a red herring. He's on his way to the uh, dean's office to talk to the um, principal or the dean and the uh, detectives. And while he's waiting, there's a secretary that's in there and she's like, oh, the police think this is an inside job. I mean, I don't. Why would you think she's a nosy Nancy? She's a nosy Nancy. She knows too much for her own good. And she has no business going around talking about what the police do and do not know. Um, and her character is one that like comes and goes, but never is really rendered useless. Uh, she's only there kind of just to be a gossip. Yeah. Yeah. So we find out professor Brown is conveniently in charge of the anatomy department and the <laughs> conveniently, I mean, if there again, the, this film, when it tries to shove a red herring down your throat, Oh, does it try to shove a red herring down your throat? Throws everything in the but the kitchen sink at you, trying to get you to think this person is the killer, even though this professor is no more than what thirty years old. So obviously he was not around in nineteen forty two. So pieces, get your act together because you're not fooling anybody, right? You're sloppy pieces. You're, you're sloppy, sloppy pieces, sloppy uh, pieces. <laughs> <laughs> and sloppy they are, <laughs> right? Oh god. So the dean is asking this professor to show the cops around campus and. He makes it perfectly clear that this cannot get out, that we are just going to tell people that this was an unfortunate accident. How you frame a girl getting her head chopped off as an unfortunate accident, I don't know. But hey, whatever works for you in your little college. It was a different time. It was a different time back in the 80s. Which we never, yeah, we never we never know the name of this college either. This college, mysterious college, is never mentioned what, what college this is supposed to be. At least, like, final right, exam right. gave us a fake college name. Come on. Okay. Yeah, so so he, Professor Brown shows the police officers a skull in his classroom. Again, red herring, red herring, red herring. Yeah, the professor is, um, like, sprinkled throughout the film. And he's only used really when it comes to things involving like dismemberment or describing what it could be. There's even one point where like one of the police officers is like, I don't have time for the coroner. What do you think about this? And like, I'm like, that's not legal, is it? But um, uh, yeah, so the professor's purpose is literally, I feel, only to be a red herring. Well, and then it goes from one red herring to another because this next scene is uh, the big, the gardener, Willard, 
who is played by uh, Paul Smith, who played Bluto in the Popeye movie. Um, he is he is in this he's in this scene and he has this chainsaw that he is lovingly petting and smiling at. <laughs> yeah, the red herrings in this film could not be any more suspect than uh, it, it, it's uh, almost comedic. At times. <laughs> yes, he's literally holding this chainsaw and petting it and smiling at it. He sees like these two kids just like fucking in the lawn. Like, again, what is going on at this college? There's people smoking dope in the hallways, girls getting their heads chopped off in broad daylight, kids fucking in the. Yeah, they're playing it real loose on this campus, real loose. There's not a lot of rules and restrictions. Um, I do also want to acknowledge a line really quick that was said by the lieutenant. When Arthur, the professor, asks him if he knows anything, how things are going, the lieutenant says, and I quote word for word, at this point, we're just out buying clothes without labels and trying them on for size. (laughs) And that's just like an example of the kind of dialogue in this film. Like, it makes sense when you really think about it. Like, yes, it kind of makes sense. But like, who has ever said that have you ever heard that statement i have never heard that statement i certainly wouldn't say that if i was a detective working a case where a girl was just decapitated i'm gonna bust that one out soon if someone's gonna be like oh my god what's going this is just a mess what are you guys doing i'm gonna go guys we're currently out buying clothes without labels and trying them on for size people are like what the fuck did you just say (laughs) yeah it is There is a few lines in, in this film that are like, what? Golden, yeah. Uh, yeah. So Kendall, we get introduced to Kendall now. He's in the library studying. And this girl gives him a note saying that she wants to do it underwater and to meet her at the pool. Yeah, apparently she knows that Kendall has a horse dick <laughs> uh, because she is not at all subtle about this. This this woman, this blonde nymph-like creature who proceeds to get up and sashay away in a pair of fabulous shimmery shiny denim jeans they look great uh you know i'd wear them today if i could she wants that dick and i don't blame her girl i don't blame you he is cute oh he's cute he is cute button button who's got the button kendall's got the button and he has the dick (laughs) he's got the dick he's got the ass too we get we see it all guys it's coming we get we see it all he throws the note away, but he misses he misses the trash can. So this mysterious black gloved hand comes into frame and picks the note up and sees that this blonde is going to the pool to meet Kendall. Um, and she literally proceeds to go to the pool. And this is a public pool, right? This isn't a college. Yes. Case. She gets topless. Well, first of all, she strips down her, uh, like underneath her day wear is a string bikini like it's no <laughs> no big deal like i'm saying it's like a string bikini this is something you wear at like a fort lauderdale beach not when you're doing laps in a pool at your school campus you'd get written up for that kind of nonsense but so yes she removes her full wardrobe to reveal this very small bikini it does not leave a lot to the imagination and then after that she says fuck it and then she takes off the top of the bikini so why are you even wearing the bikini to begin with <laughs> and it's a public like anybody could walk in at any right? time at any time she's nope i'm gonna take my tits out and get in this pool i don't give a shit but nobody in, in this pool or in this school seems to really care about these things because as we learn plenty of people are doing things that could easily be exposed including things involving chainsaws willy-nilly like it's no big deal people are 
revving chainsaws left and right in this movie. So I don't think anybody has any concerns about what people are going to be suspecting in this college. No, she gets into the pool. And at the same time, this killer dressed in a trench coat, and he's always kept very much in the shadows. You just see his, you just see his silhouette yeah. with the trench coat and this t- like top hat thing. Fedora, maybe. I don't know what it is. Yeah, he looks like the shadow. Remember like the old, like from like the 1940s, like the shadow knows. And he was like a slick detective with a fedora and he's always shadowed. He looks just like that. Yeah. Yeah. So he proceeds to get the giant pool net as this poor girl is swimming and <laughs> grabs her by the head with it and is able to pull her to, to the edge of the pool to get her out. <laughs> he gets go down. Go down. Because Go, this just, girl is the stupidest. She deserved it. She's inept. Because she's inept and she's completely deserving what she gets. A, a yeah, just yeah, dive down in, into the. You could easily get out of that. B, she's not even pulled by this thing for maybe five seconds, and she's like passed out. Like just he gets her out of the pool and she's laying there flopping around. She's passed out. She, she passes out. She can't move. She's, you think like, like, what did he do? All he did was pull you into the, even when she's swimming laps, like she's coming up for air swimming back and forth. Like you would see this mysterious figure. I don't care how shadowed it is. And so he's like, he's holding this net out, trying to like get it under her head. And it doesn't seem to be a very easy task, but like somehow he manages to get her. I just don't understand how she didn't see this huge net hovering towards her face. She's very, very, very incapable of defending herself. Yeah. He gets her. And then while she's laying there unconscious from five seconds of being held underwater, he goes and gets this chainsaw and rubs it up, comes at her. And all she does is back away and screams and oh my god this scene makes me so angry all she had to do is ro- she, all roll. She had to roll back into the pool yeah i mean there was a full he can't take a chainsaw in the pool no there's a whole pool there you stand there and scream your fucking head off until somebody hears you you're in a college campus well and it's a chainsaw like it's not like he can really come at you like with rapid speed like he's awkwardly lumbering at you with a chainsaw like there's a lot of things she could have done to defend herself and you're right like she's underwater for like i don't know six seconds then she's laying there she's like oh my god i'm coming too and she like looks up and has plenty of time to respond and instead she just kind of scoots back on her butt and lets the guy dismember her (laughs) dismember her he does because yeah willard goes in and uh after this happens and just finds all of these body parts laying on the floor and then a chainsaw, a bloody chainsaw, that the ch- same chainsaw, the same looking chainsaw that he was just petting lovingly in the last scene. Yeah. It's like a yellow chainsaw and he, there's blood all over it. And he proceeds to, the cops come in and he proceeds to attack the cops. Like, yeah. Like, I don't understand the reasoning here. Does he think maybe like in his mind, oh, they're going to think it's me. I'm sorry, but this is only added to the suspicion Willard. Uh, the whole battle sequence in which they have to beat him over the back with a bar of wood to subdue him. Um, uh, I, another awkward series of choices, but hey, this movie's good for him. It's nothing but bad choices beginning to end with this film. Yeah, so the police uh, police officer finally gets behind him and puts, his, puts a gun to his head in the most dramatic way, says, hold it or I'll blow your brains out. <laughs> 
Oh, Willard, that Willard. Yeah. But the paramedics at the same time are low. It's so funny. It's not funny, but it's, it is just, you have to see this. They have a gurney and they're like literally picking up the pieces of the body and just setting them piling on the gurney. And they end up carrying just a, it's like a tray of dismembered body parts out of this pool. Well, and no, nobody is wearing gloves. No. And he took the torso. He took yeah. the killer took the torso because he needs a torso. So yeah. It's yeah, like, you'll notice that with his kills, each time there's a body part missing. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, again, uh, everybody involved with the police or the the medical teams that are dispatched on this, these murders, not one of them knows proper protocol. Everything is sloppy, 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 sloppy babies. The the coroners aren't wearing gloves. They're ziplocking body parts. The cops are making a nonstop barrage of horrible choices, as you're allowed to, about to find out. None of the, the cops who are like sent out to assist are capable of defending themselves ever. Um, it's uh, it's overwhelming. Well, and this is the scene where they call in the professor to get his professional opinion about whether the chainsaw could have cut this body up. This is what you're talking about. He's like, I don't want to wait for the coroner. In your professional opinion, could this chainsaw? Okay, uh, duh, the chainsaw is sitting there covered in blood and flesh. Uh, what do you think, Mr. Detective? What do you think was used? To which the professor even says he's like, I'm no pathologist, but even a layman can yeah. see it was done with this very chainsaw. I, 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 I'm clearly. It's there. It's covered in blood. Like, what was that? The really the question on everyone's mind right now is: Is this specific chainsaw the chainsaw that was used? Yes. Is it not a matter of finding out who wielded the chainsaw at this point? But you know, the cops are taking it slowly, step by step, with this whole thing. Yeah, some things they're they're a little aggressive about because the professor actually he touches the chainsaw and he gets yelled at. Oh, you destroyed evidence. Well, bitches, you just you didn't weren't wearing gloves when you're loading all these body parts into the gurney. So exactly. now you're going to worry about evidence. But a good red herring um, addition there, because like, let's be real. Professor Arthur, with his creeper stash and his piercing blue eyes, is only there to be a red herring. So that only like added in my mind. I honestly was thinking this guy's the killer. And that was a sneaky way of his getting away with having fingerprints on the chainsaw. Lo and behold. But these, these cops aren't finger sh- fingerprints. These cops shit. aren't doing anything. They're just, they're just yabbering back and forth. They're, they're incompetent. Yeah. So the detectives proceed to talk about how they want to get two undercover female officers to come to campus and, basically be bait for the killer and somehow they they bring kendall into their plan and basically they let kendall do whatever the fuck he wants they make him like a secondary detective like they they tell him shit that they have no business telling him Uh, they're like oh you can have hey yeah you're gonna you're come along you're gonna you're gonna be undercover with uh, what I got a lot of issues with this movie in the sense of execution and storyline, but this is the one issue that I just simply cannot look past. And it's the fact that they, from day one, openly and willingly decide to involve a teenage college student who is also a suspect, mind you, because he was in the gym when Willard entered the gym. You see, 
Kendall, like he, he basically, you can tell that he thinks he's being caught for sneaking into the gym. So he books out of there. Um, at, at first it's kind of like what is implied and then Willard sees the body. But so this kid is a suspect and the sergeant's like, you know what? I believe him. Not only do I believe him, I like him. And I'm going to involve him in everything. Yeah. Everything. Everything. I think maybe the uh, the detective saw his dick and was like, okay, yeah, I need to keep this guy close. Guys, it's coming. And let me tell you, it does not disappoint. It does not disappoint. Um, <laughs> and it's going to come up consistently throughout this interview, or this uh, review because um, it, it's impressive to say the least. But yeah, no. So this child is now apparently an honorary police officer. He is an honor. They treat him like, like literally they treat him like he is a detective. They let him go gather evidence. They let him be in the interrogation room. They let him do whatever. They ask him to take care of the, the vixen who's about to come into play. Uh, they they ask him to keep an eye on her. It's very very out of line. But whatever, it's Kendall. You know, I, I can forgive it because it's Kendall. But uh, the the next scene is aerobics class at this happening uh, college campus. There is a five minute aerobic routine we are treated to. These gals are selling it. They're all selling it except the rear left. <laughs> No, I was keep, the same thing? Yeah, I was keeping my eye out because they're all in pretty much sync except her. She's like, oh, my God. There's one girl you can tell they're like, put her in the back. They'll, <laughs> never, they'll never see her there. And then they frame the angle. So all you see is her. And she's always like <laughs> one beat off from the rest of them. And it's so excruciating to watch this poor girl. You'll see her. You guys will see exactly who I'm talking about with the amount of gays that listen to this podcast. I know you know who I'm talking about. Yeah. So, but these, okay. These are college kids. These aerobic outfits are the most like risque trampus thing. <laughs> they're like wearing like knee high leather boots. Am I not wrong? Like, First of all, they were costumed as though it was for like a live performance of the warrior by scandal. Like the <laughs> girls in this, they're all wearing leg warmers and like, they got like jumpsuits. They're riding up their butt cheeks. They all look great. No, the, the, the main girl that's yeah. leading the class is literally wearing knee-high leather yeah, boots. She looks like she's about to go to work after this. Like, And by work, I mean on the pole. Um, but, you know, these girls are selling it. They're taking it home. They're kicking high. They're jumping. Uh, you know, it was a nice um, interlude from all the violence. Then they, yes. Because, well, then they take a break, finally, after we get treated to five minutes of this techno music. Weird, weird techno music. One girl... One girl has to go to the John, as she says. I have to go to the John. And this is a school, right? This bathroom is, what, 10 miles away from... <laughs> she basically has to get into a small boat and cross the river. Sticks <laughs> offering a, ba- like a, a bag of gold coins <laughs> and half of her soul to get to this bathroom. You, she is literally walking <laughs> for miles to this bathroom. I'm like, what the... This, where are you at that you have no bathroom in... <laughs> She has to swing on a rope across a cavern. <laughs> no, but seriously, she's not walking too. She's like, she's, she's like shuffling at home to, uh, to, to Dixie. She's like sidestepping, like going over her dance routine. This girl's really making every, every minute count with the spotlight. And another girl, finally, finally, she gets to the bathroom and some girl comes out of the bathroom, which did they, where'd this girl come from? Because there is a perfect formation of girls in equal amounts during the aerobic routine. I, I don't know. Yeah. And this, again, I, I think we were supposed to think that she was going to be murdered here, but it goes nowhere because once this girl scares her, it just cuts. 
to the detective telling Kendall <laughs> that he needs to go talk to this psycho- the police psychologist because the two of them, Kendall, a 19-year-old college student who has no experience, no degree, and this actual psychologist, they the, together are going to come up with a profile of the killer. <laughs> is in so deep he's in over his head already uh but he seems so willing and eager to work with these police officers if i was kendall and i was already exposed to the things i'd seen and experienced which is being attacked by a school staff member when the custodian physically battled him and he had to beat him with that bar of wood uh seeing multiple dismembered bodies of my fellow students, I'd be like, fuck off, incompetent, inept police officers. You really think, you really think I want to take on this job? Absolutely not. But Kendall is gung-ho. He's all about it. Oh, he's bright-eyed and bushy-tailed and ready to go. With those chubby cheeks, he's so handsome. Now we get introduced to Mary Riggs. Oh my God, Mary fucking Riggs. The the chosen one that's going to go undercover. It's a buxom blonde played by the lovely Linda Day. What a delight. Though I will say, Linda Riggs, just to confirm, I looked it up. <laughs> it's Linda, Mary Riggs. Or, or, I'm sorry, <laughs> Linda, I'm sorry, Mary Riggs. Mary Riggs is, Linda <laughs> was 38 years old when she filmed oh, the part. She looks- Kind of rough. She's and she's not looking a day past fifty in this. But she's, you know, she's looking her age. What unfolds with her character and another character, I think, is completely inappropriate and uh, very much in line with the other mistakes made over the course of time within this film. But yeah, shit's about to go down with Mary Riggs, uh, t- tennis star and undercover cop, I believe. Yeah, she. Doing a favor, <laughs> she is a tennis celebrity, apparently. Yeah. Because when Kendall, of course, because Kendall's there at the police station when she gets announced that she's going to be, he's like, "Oh, I recognize you. You're Mary Riggs." So she must be like the Sel- the Serena Williams of the tennis world back in 1982. I don't know. In this film, which makes it even it makes even less <laughs> sense than okay. So so now you're telling me that this celebrity tennis star was coerced into assisting small town police officers on a college campus. I'm sorry. It doesn't make sense. So apparently the chief of police has somehow procured Mary Riggs to go in as like the tennis coach for this college. And she's like, Oh, I've been so bored. And he's like, well, you put a lady in an office shuffling papers for six months and she'll volunteer to do anything. Very sexual innuendo. Why is she there shuffling papers to begin with? Do we know? And why why does this tennis star want to put herself in a situation where she could be chainsawed to death? I mean, it makes no sense. It makes absolutely no sense. But that's that's not even the best part. That's not even the best part, Roger, because who shows up next? Who shows up next? Fucking Sylvia from the Boston oh, Globe. <laughs> this bitch. If there's one character that stood out to me and I really felt connected with in this movie, it was Sylvia. And let me tell you, Sylvia can give a glare like no other. And Sylvia busts into the police office and she's like, Lieutenant, Lieutenant, can I get a statement based off of what's happening at the college campus? And he's like, nothing's happening at the college campus. She's like, well, I have questions. He's like, okay, ask her. Yes, ask Mary Riggs, the tennis star 
champion who is also masquerading as a police officer and clearly has no idea what's going on. Yes, that's real professional. Oh, she wants to know. She's like, there's a rumor a girl was murdered on campus. He's like, I don't know what you're talking about. These college kids love to start rumors. Nonsense. And she's wearing like a dramatic Shakespearean collar. She, I love it. She, look, she looks like, you know, she reminded me of, speaking of, we brought up Italian giallo at the beginning of the episode. When she comes on the frame, she uh, she looks a lot like Daria Nicolodi mm. from the Argento film. Yeah, she does have a very, she's got like that big eye, uh, very, I mean, she's stunningly gorgeous. I'll say that. Yeah. And she has some of the best scenes yeah. in the movie. Oh, well, you know, and if they would have just told her what she wanted to know right there, she would not have stuck around. She would have went back to the Boston Globe and wrote her a little article, but that doesn't happen. And she gets what happens to her is pretty fucked. That's one of the most. I mean, it is one of the more impressive sequences in the film. Um, But I will say that the lieutenant before, you know, sicking Sylvia on her with her death glare, shooting lasers at Mary Riggs, uh, the lieutenant does say, Mary, we're shorthanded. I have nobody to back you up. And that was the obvious solution to assigning a student who's technically should be the main suspect to, quote unquote, keep an eye on her. Like that was the reasoning that he provided to her. We're shorthanded. Thus, thus stick by this child. Yeah. So if you get chainsawed, hey, we're sorry. Then, okay, then we get to see Miss Riggs in all of her tennis playing glory which goes on for a good 10 minutes. And it rem- it's like a tampon commercial. Like literally there's two girl, they're batting back and forth. You get a whole audience. And I was thinking the whole time, is this, what is, is this a tennis tournament? What is going on here? Because you have an audience, even the Dean is there watching. You have a whole audience and they're like, they're, you know, as the balls go, their heads going. Well, if you notice you hear, okay. She's playing opposite Susie, who's a character who comes back into play eventually. But so she and Susie are apparently in the midst of quite the match. And I think everyone's coming to watch Mary Riggs because she's a champion tennis player or so they say. But if you watch her play. She sucks. She sucks. Well, beyond it sucks. Mary Riggs never moves from her single mark. (laughs) She's planted in place. And you can tell that someone's just hitting balls to her. Like, and she's like. They're like really making it sure that like the balls come exactly to Mary Riggs so she can just hit them. Like she's not moving. The other girl is just, she's sweating. Her hair is tasseled (laughs) and all over the place. And she's just wild. And she's running all over, trying to stop Mary Riggs from winning this game. And Mary Riggs just cannot be stopped. The ball comes right to her every time. (laughs) She's literally planted in one spot. That's what I was, that's what I was thinking. I was like, okay, this is the tennis you know, world-renowned tennis champion that doesn't move from like literally one spot, and then and then they make they make sure she wins, right? Obviously, and she is so proud of herself. She's so proud of herself. I'm like Mary Riggs, you beat a 12 year old girl. Like, what are you so happy about? Uh, and people are like congratulating her and acting like it's like she just won Wimbledon. It's like, oh gosh, okay. Um, Mary's reliving her glory days. Is what she's doing as a faded 54 year old. Dame, <laughs> who was once a, once a champion back in 1952, um, but but um, uh, so, so she gets introduced at this point to uh, Kendall, and um, is this this is the point where she meets Kendall for the first time, correct? Yeah, well, it's the, she meets the dean, and the dean yes, per- yes. he's like, you you need oh such a wonderful display of sportsmanship, Mrs. Riggs. You need to come to our faculty tea party. <laughs> 
And she's like, oh, I would love that. And then she tells him that Willard is being released because of lack of evidence. Well, no fucking uh, shit. Well, beyond that, though, like, did he not physically attack police officers? He, yes. Like, is that really yeah. a good idea to release I him? think I thought that was a pretty, I thought that was a crime that would get you, you know, some sort of punishment. But apparently right. not. Then, but no, because now, then, what's her name? Shows up again. Fucking uh, nosy Sylvia. Yeah, nosy Nancy the, Sylvia. And they dismiss her. The, the, the dean's like, I don't know what you're talking about. You need to go away. There's nothing going on on this campus. Yes. And then this is when she actually, yeah, she runs into Kendall for the first time. Yeah. And Kendall's like, oh, maybe I can like help out. And to which she says, this kind of job is strictly volunteer. Is it? Is it a volunteer job? Like, is this really something? Do you volunteer to put your life in danger? On this college campus, like, I feel like you should be a police officer to be doing this. And neither of you are police officers. Well, now the killer is now putting arms on his puzzle. So we now we know that somebody is about ready to lose their arms. And and who is it? But this poor aerobics girl. Oh, my God. We're back to her same fucking leotard. She's still rocking it. Still going strong. She's still going strong. And this dance number? What is this dance number? It's like a burlesque number. Like, it's- what? What dance art class is she taking at the school that she's well, performing? This, this school apparently has all kinds of classes because it apparently has a Kung Fu class, as we learn here in a little bit. Um, in the most <laughs> offensive way possible. <laughs> um, but she's doing, and then you get to, you, you hear this like panting. <sighs> he is like, this killer is constantly wheezing. I'm worried for him. His breathing is very shallow and it's very and he shows up in the doorway looking through the window so you just see his like head and his hat and he's (gasps) and uh and then it like goes to the sequence where like she doesn't see him she doesn't see him right but she um basically like changes clothing and for what is like a three minute long sequence it cuts back and forth between this girl changing her entire outfit very slowly and a bunch like a series of dramatic walking shots of feet of the killer's feet and it cuts back and forth like three times and the entire time there's like one tone of music that keeps playing over it trying to build suspense but all it is is people changing clothing so like it's very anticlimactic yeah i think i think she i think she heard a noise or something and she got freaked out and that's why she was trying to change quickly but it wasn't happening this quickly changing took it took five minutes and then you do get a you do get a scene of the killer like walking full full frame into frame with this chainsaw. So once she's dressed, she like runs to the elevator and she gets ready to push the elevator button and a hand immediately comes into frame and pushes it for her. And she looks and she's like, "Oh, it's you." And she's all, you know, she's comfortable now. The elevator opens, she gets on the elevator first, and then the person gets on the elevator with her. And obviously now we know it's somebody that has to be recognizable to all the students, right? Hint, hint. And um, the person literally is holding, trying to hide a chainsaw behind your his back. Would you not see that? I would see that. I would, I would notice that. I'm sorry. First of all, it is like, okay, there are different sizes of chainsaws. There's the small ones that you use to trim like, bushes and shrubs and then there's big ones that i think you could cut you know through a a, a, a medium-sized tree this is this is the ladder this is a big chainsaw and first of all he has it like behind his back with what with one arm which in general is suspicious it's very suspect but like he's like awkwardly maneuvering himself to get into this small elevator and she doesn't seem at all 
phased by it. It's not until he's in the elevator and brandishes the chainsaw at her, in which it's too late that she proceeds to scream. Yeah. He uh once she's in the elevator, he 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 stops the elevator and she's like, Oh, what are you doing? And all of a sudden he just rubs the chainsaw. And what's he do? He cuts her arms off, but they come off pretty easily, right? I mean, he barely touches yes. the one and it flies off. I mean, the the one it looks like it's held on with like just fabric. Um, and it's a, it is, I'll say this, it's a fun effect, it's a cool effect, like it is a small budget effect, but they do a good job with it in the sense of it's just a brutal scene, but my god, it is so hokey. Yeah, it's so hokey. <laughs> it is. It is the the hand, the arm just flops right off. Uh, yeah. Kendall and the cops hear her scream. They're, I guess, they're outside, and they go in and they find her body in the elevator, and she literally has no arms. Guess what's still there? The chainsaw. How many chainsaws are there? I don't know. And there are this. There's chainsaws everywhere. There's just chainsaws coming out of the our yeah. asses in this film yeah. and they're just everywhere he left the chainsaw there and he left her armless body there and kendall's like oh she's still alive she's still alive so she'll be able to say who who killed her who did this to her well then like 30 seconds later a paramedic comes out and he's like oh wait she died <laughs> so what, what like a cock tease i thought it was be like oh yeah like we're gonna get to see this armless girl give a great monologue or something and then like, no no she just died she bled out he's like between the blood loss and the shock of it all well yeah i mean girl got her arms sawed off so it makes sense and at the same time professor brown conveniently pops up he's like oh i was just upstairs in my office in the library yeah dude come on now and finally the detective is like we are going to do something we want full background checks on every staff member at this campus and even if it bankrupts our department we're going to do full background checks what's that going to should you get a full background check before you get hired as a fucking professor at a university you would think i don't know i do also like at this point with the two bumbling cops because like there are two cops that come in who are not even they're like a lower chain of command than the than the detective and the um the lieutenant but these two cops like are trying to get into the building when everything's happening and kendall like of course just happens to be near and so he runs up and helps and kendall like takes charge of the situation and then when they find the body he like uh, the cop pukes all over the place and kendall's like go get help like kendall is like he's on top of his shit this is apparently his dream to come true he's like go call the shit go call the detective right now there's a phone in the custodian's room he's more capable and competent than anybody else in this film oh god yeah which yeah he is and okay so you know what though i apparently i don't know apparently finding an armless girl that just had her her arm sawed off and you find her, you actually find her body in an elevator covered in blood and a chainsaw. Apparently, that doesn't kill your sex drive because the very next scene is the scene where he is in bed with this girl who is the most fucking annoying bitch from a movie ever. This girl, I wanted to smother with my pillow. She is, oh, Kendall, oh, Kendall. That's all she does through the whole movie. Is her whole scene? Oh, Kendall, get back in bed with me, Kendall. Oh, Kendall. Well, it, it doesn't help that her dubbing is probably the worst. It's in the, the film. worst. Like if it's you watch her, 
if you watch her lips, like what she's saying is different from what the dubbing is. And I feel like they told her she was going to be saying one thing and they just brought a different girl in and they're like, oh, just speak, just speak like you're an idiot. Just say, you know, pathetic things as a weak woman. Just demand that he gets back in bed and pleasures you. Well, like, he's he's like, he tells her, he's like, shut up. You people are, you, you scream too much and people are going to think you're the chainsaw. You're getting, you you're got killed by the chainsaw guy. And she's like, oh, Kendall. I'll control myself if we do it again, Candle. I'm like, oh, but he gets out of bed. The, the, what makes the scene worth it? What makes this movie worth it? <laughs> My God. He, he gets out of bed completely naked, completely butt cheek, penis naked. You see his big old dick swinging right in frame. Listen, guys, if there's ever a reason to watch a film that we've reviewed, this is it. There are good dick shots and there are great ones. And I really cannot think of a dick shot that compares over this gentleman's penis. Like, holy smokes, it's not erect, but it looks like it's it's like a baby's arm holding an apple. It's huge and it's <laughs> uncut. And uh, he's got a great ass too. Like, I mean, I pray to God this guy went out to do gay porn because he's got the whole package. The whole package. Oh, he does. He does. And he goes to look out the window and he sees Mary out walking by herself at night. And as she's walking now, we do get a scene of like the killer is apparently following her because we keep getting a cuts of a ch- the chainsaw kind of following her along as she's walking. But yes. And she's being very mysterious. Like, I don't understand why. Yeah. What is she doing? Where, where is she even? Where is she even going is what I want to know. Anyways. And perhaps. One of the most random scenes of any slasher film ever in history. This is it. A guy jumps out. Asian guy jumps out at her and proceeds to basically martial arts her martial arts, Kung Fu her like all while doing the dramatic Kung Fu moves, kicks her, knocks her phone out of her hand to to which she pulls out a gun at him. He pulls out a gun and he kicks it out of her hand. And then he just collapses, just literally just collapses on the ground, passes out, collapses. Well, I mean, I wonder, like the motorcycle pulls up and it's, um, it's Kendall who also like in his pursuit of Mary, I believe, and correct me if I'm wrong, there are two shots in which Kendall runs back and forth past the same row of bushes. (laughs) Like it is so this movie is so shoddy at times. Like it's almost endearing, but I was like, did that really just happen? (laughs) Did did I just see what I think I saw? But so he pulls up on a motorcycle because he's a bad boy and he gets out and he he like runs up and he sees the guy laying on his stomach. He's like, what's going on here? And he, and she's like, this man attacked me. And he's like, that's just my Kung Fu professor, like, or my martial arts professor, which Okay, that's a thing. Is that a thing, Troy? You teach. He says it's a, he says it's his kung fu professor, and his name's Louie. She's like Louie just attacked me, and Louie at this point, I'm a, if that's not his name, I know she says his name. I think it's Louie. Louie proceeds to wake up, and Kendall's like, "What? What happened?" He's like, "Oh, I was out for a jog, and the next next thing I know, I'm on the ground." And he's like, "I must have ate some bad food." He says, "Bad chop suey." He says bad job. Because if this couldn't get any more racist, because like the whole thing is like, yes, it's played by an Asian actor, but the whole thing is like, okay, buddy. Every Asian stereotype. We want it 
comedically Asian. And you know, the actor was like, whatever you guys say, like it is offensive. It's so stupid and it's never addressed again, much like many things in this film. There's, there's no point to it. There's zero point to this whole thing. The only thing this does is segue into what is apparently the spark of a romantic like thing between Mary and Kendall, as in Mary, the 40 something year old mother of four, <laughs> I'm assuming, and Kendall, the fresh faced college sophomore. He takes her up, he takes her on his motorcycle and gets the hell out of there. But yeah, this scene is so random. I don't know yeah. what the purpose of it was. It, it, it is, it's very stereotypical, it's very. Uh, 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 yeah, it's kind of cringeworthy now. I could maybe see what they were doing, you know, back in 1982 when they made this to make it. They thought it was comic relief, but yeah, well, back when racism was funny. Yeah, now it's it, not at all. I mean, even no. the whole chop suey line. I must have had some bad chop suey. Yeah, yeah, and it's like with a really thick. It's accent. a very. It's, I was gonna say it's a very exaggerated Asian accent, and then the whole kung fu thing. It's just ridiculous. However, we do now get introduced back to Sylvia, the news reporter, who's still snooping around, even though it's like middle of the night. She goes into the one of the buildings. And I actually like the score here. The score is actually pretty effective. It's actually pretty creepy. She opens the door and she sees like another chainsaw. There's just a chainsaw in this room. And instead of getting the fuck out of there, like I would do, she just acts like it doesn't bother, shuts the door and then goes to the next room. I'm assuming this college has a budget for gardening and like lawn manicures on like any school campus I've ever seen because the amount of chainsaws laying around the school, it's completely irrational. And then they have a, a room with a waterbed in it, a random waterbed. Which the students apparently know about. They do because the one girl said there's nothing better than to fuck on a waterbed and smoke pot. Yeah. Um, and here we go. I wouldn't know. Foreshadow- um, foreshadowing, I guess. Yeah. Well, <laughs> What happens in this scene is the girl goes into the room with the waterbed and the killer immediately jumps out at her and has this fucking ginormous butcher knife that he proceeds to throw her on the waterbed and stab the shit out of her with. However, as he's stabbing her, he gets like three really good stabs in her chest and she's like blood is gushing everywhere. But in the meantime, she's like flopping around. So when he's trying to stab her, he stabs into the waterbed. So now the waterbed is like exploded and all the water is coming out and it's mixing with her blood that's gushing out of her. It's a very, this is a very effective scene. It is. He's like, he's like, she's trying to get up and he's slamming her back down. The the water's uh, spraying everywhere and it's just covered. It's just blood. And then he manages to get a hold of her and flips her over on her back and proceeds to stab the knife through the back of her skull so that it comes out of her mouth. Yeah. And if you look really closely in this sequence, and I actually played it back like three times to make sure I was seeing it. Um, the sequence where he flips her over and stabs the, the knife through her skull, the back of her skull, you can blatantly see the prop knife bend. Mm-hmm. And loosely like bend behind her neck and like bend to the side. Uh, and it in no way makes any penetration whatsoever. It's like a paper knife, you know, it's like a yeah, foil yeah, yeah. knife. Um, and it uh is very obvious. Uh, but other than that, this yeah, this whole sequence is really great because they they once like the stabbing starts to happen, it goes into a really creepy slow motion that uh with like the sloshing of the water and everything, it's really good for the audio. Like it does 
it does well. This scene is done well. I enjoyed this. Minus that knife flub, I thought it was probably one of the standout moments of the movie. It, I think it is the best death scene in the movie. There's something, and I hate to use this word just because I don't mean it in like a kind of like a weird way, but there's something, I think the scene is actually very beautiful. Uh, the way it's shot with the water, the red, the blood, and the the splash. We talk about Giallo like influences throughout this film. And like sometimes, I mean, this is not, this movie is nowhere near, I'd say, the caliber of craftsmanship of like the, the top tier Giallo films that we've seen. No, no. But the influence is prominent in certain moments. And I'd say this one is one of the ones that I see the most of that influence from like this, the, again, the red of the blood, the slow motion, the artistic choices, the sloshing of the water being really prominent. Mm-hmm. I did. I really enjoyed the sequence. Yeah, it's really good. Kendall drops Mary off. And this is when he asks if he could come in for coffee. And so you do get this kind of like budding, like sexual tension between the two of them. She does decline. She's like, not tonight. And then as he's. She she does say to him, you know, you really saved my life tonight. And I'm like, really? Did he save your life? Because girl, I'm pretty sure you pulled a gun on that man. And that's a big factor of why your life was saved. All he did was ride up on a motorcycle and drive away with you. So yeah, (laughs) she declines. And then his dork friend that's, basically in like two scenes and then forgotten about he's actually we didn't mention him at the beginning because he's kind of a forgettable but there is like this companion to kindle who is i don't even know what his name is you know i'm talking about right yeah the really awkward nerd the chubby nerdy guy he was at the beginning he was in the beginning scene with kendall in the in the uh office with the dean and he just disappears and then he comes back for this scene and then just disappears again. He's not in the rest of the movie, but he scares Kendall with a mask and it's like, Oh, it's Casanova. <laughs> and that's it. And that's, that's his whole, like, there's no other purpose of him to be in this film. It's like, like I, like I said, I, we didn't even mention him just because he's so forgettable, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I did like this little moment. I thought that this was kind of cute to be honest is like Casanova sequence, but other than that, he serves absolutely no purpose in the rest of the movie. Uh, but that whole mask sequence, like just because it was so unexpected, I actually kind of jumped because I was like, I thought, but then yeah, it was just this rubber mask. Um, and he never, I think comes back after this. No, no, nope. The next scene is the killer going into the freezer to check out his handiwork. And you see that the body just needs legs now. Hint, hint. Because now it's the girl that Miss Riggs beat earlier. She's playing tennis by herself. She's doing some practice. And then this loud, this is the scene you're talking about. The, this loud school song comes on over the speakers and is like blaring the entire time it's oh, so, it's so fucking obnoxious she it's throws a fit she's like she's like pissed because obviously it's disrupting her concentration so she throws a fit she leaves the right. court the tennis court to go into the locker room and take a shower of course she's butt naked uh, troy how many women had to get naked to make this movie come to fruition because it is absurd. Like every other scene is a gratuitous nude nude sequence. And it's not just like a nipple here and there. It's like full bush. Here's a rack of bush, full boobs, everything. And she is taking a shower without closing the shower curtain, of course, because we wouldn't be able to see her if she had the shower curtain closed. And as she's getting dressed in this locker room, she pulls on her pants and all of a sudden, the killer just comes out with a chainsaw, revs it up. So she can't even finish getting dressed. So now we are treated to a topless chase scene. This poor girl running around, her boobs flopping everywhere. So good. 
she hides, she goes into a bathroom and shuts the bathroom door, but the killer is able to chainsaw through it. Yeah, kind of Shining-esque almost, because she's in the corner cowering as he's busting through. Yeah, and he gets in. There's actually a shot of her peeing her pants, which I think I would probably too. I mean, oh, yeah. I actually thought, I think like you could throw as much gore at me as you want, but something like that, like when you lose control of your bodily functions out of fear, that's actually terrifying and very yeah. realistic. So, yeah, and like right before she gets sawed through the torso. Yeah, and, you know, I would have liked to see her be able to fight back some, but I guess, you know, she she just cowers there. And again, all the, these girls and the, the women in this film, like we mentioned, are just portrayed as like helpless victims. They- I guess one thing to be said, though, is like when you're fighting against a chainsaw, like, what do you do? Like a knife? Okay. I, I got gotcha. you. I would just, I don't know. I would at least try to like. Just flail, flail. I would just like, once he got do. in the bathroom door, I would just charge and take and try to get past him. I mean, you're going to get, if you're going to get killed, at least go down with the fight. Right. But yeah. she just- I will say though, the, the saw shot going through her pretty fucking like ace. It's really a, a good, it's not a long shot. It's just enough, but it has like the pulp and texture yeah. of flesh. Yeah. And it really is a, one of the, I'd say her kill is one of the top kills for me as well in the movie. Cause you only get just enough of it. That's enough to make your skin crawl. Yeah. It's gross. Blood splatters everywhere. And Kendall and Mary, of course, are walking around the campus and they run into Willard slowly. slowly. It keeps cut. Yes. <laughs> they're just walking, walking, walking. <laughs> And they run into Willard and they're like, hey, why is this music playing? And he's like, I don't know. Maybe they're testing out the system. And apparently Willard is like, okay with Kendall and Kendall's okay with Willard, even though like a couple days ago, uh, Willard physically attacked him in a pool and then he had him put in jail. Willard still has a job after attacking police officers. So, you know. That's... Yeah, everything seems to be fine and dandy with these two. So... Willard shuts the music off and as they, as Willard and Mary go into this little room to shut the music off, Kendall is going to explore and he actually finds the body. Cause he comes out of the locker room and he's like, Oh my God, there's another one. And Mary goes in and you, you do get a shot, a reveal shot of her body basically cut in half. Like her bottom half is missing and her, the top half is sitting yeah. there and guts are every guts are hanging out of it. It's pretty gross. Yeah, it's pretty good in the sense of how well they did with this effect. Like, it's um, oh God, it almost has like a kind of like a vibe of something you'd see from like the collector, yeah, uh, or the collection where like you know they'll pose the uh, the limbs with the torso in like a really almost artistic way, and it, it, yeah, it's really creepy. Really, I like this reveal a lot. You see like a trail of intestine coming out of her torso. Yeah, and so Mary comes out of the locker room. And this is when we get the famous, ever so famous line from Mary Riggs is that the guy was killing her or while we were out here, that bastard was in there killing her. And then she goes full force for an Oscar win, right? Yeah. Where she screams at the top of her lung, bastard, bastard, three times. The third one too, she's like, like she just like unleashes fury. Oh, I've never seen such rage in a woman. She's a woman scorned and she will have her vengeance. So now the killer has given the body legs and he's trying to put the mother's shoes on it, but they don't fit. They keep falling off the feet. So now we know, oh, he's going to have to find some different feet or something, different shoes for this, for his, whatever. 
is whatever this is this woman contraption yeah who's giving me like hardcore may Mm -hmm. vibes like the Mm -hmm. movie may uh because he's making his like perfect woman so mary catches up with the professor and again these people are just sticking around this campus how many people do you see or do you have to see be killed until you're like you know what maybe i should go Maybe this isn't the best idea. Or maybe we should close the, the school yeah, right. until this is solved. Because <laughs> lives seem to be in danger yeah. on a regular basis. Yeah, but nobody cares. So she's walking with a professor. And he's very like hostile towards her. He's like, he doesn't want anything to do with her. And um, he's like, you should be more careful about what you ask your colleagues. You're you're new here. And um, he, she's like, well, I just want to know, you know, what's going on? Who am I, you know, who, who, who am I working with? And he doesn't answer her. And then she does run into Kendall and with like a very aggressive stinger, like they try to make it a jump scare, but Kendall like walks up to her with like a smile on his face and he's like pleasant and they like try to make it a jump scare, but it does not work. Yes. Yeah, so Kendall is going to be apparently go to the detective's office, the police station to look at some files with to go over files, because now this kid is allowed to look at files to look at police files they even say you're like you're basically an honorary police officer that shouldn't be the case you should be you should be certified you should have gone through the proper education to do this you would think you would think he and mary wants to talk to the the dean but kendall does say you know the dean isn't going to be available till seven he has something he does on this particular night uh and then you do get a scene where Kendall is literally going through files at the police station, just going through willy nilly, opening the cabinets, pulling out the files. I thought these things were confidential. Apparently not because he's just going through having a gay old time. And at the same time, it must've, it must, time must've passed because now it's seven o'clock because Mary Riggs shows up at the Dean's house and he is overly friendly to her and overly wants definitely to make her some coffee. He is, persistent that she drinks some coffee and as he's making her this instant coffee we do get a scene of her asking yes he asks her do you want cream or sugar and she's like well cream and maybe some um saccharin he's like oh you're trying to watch your figure so we do get a little scene of him putting like drops in this coffee and the first time you don't know oh is this maybe this is the saccharin right but he brings the coffee to her and she tells the professor that she wants to talk about Professor Brown. And he's like, oh, okay. Would you like more coffee? It's only been like 30 seconds since she's had the coffee. Would you like more coffee, Mrs. Riggs? So she's like, oh, okay. So he goes and gets her more coffee, puts more drops in it. She inhales that first cup too. Like It's like he, he gives it to her. She chugs the, in one sip, she chugs it down. He's like, would you like more coffee? And she's like, oh, that would be nice. Like this woman is parched uh back at the police station K- kendall has found something interesting and he found a, a file in the file that someone has changed their name right so the sergeant's like i'm gonna call records and they find out that the person who changed his name was lo and behold the dean i like that it took this this college student to come in for literally 10 seconds and not only he's only there for a moment eating Wendy's and God, uh, Kendall makes that Wendy's look delicious. He's chugging down a frosty with like the full Wendy's logo. Like they must've donated some money to this production or something or catered it or something, but God, he's selling it. Um, and yeah, I literally, he like picks up a file. He's like, Hey, look what I found within seconds. Something that the cops couldn't put together in weeks. 
Yep. So they find out that the Dean is, was actually a, the little boy whose mother was murdered. And now they're like, well, we better rush over there because Mary's there. So, and then Mary, it cuts, Mary. then it cuts back to the Dean's house. And he's talking about how professor Brown is a homosexual. Oh, and he's talking about it with great disdain. Mm-hmm. Oh, he was a homosexual. Professor Brown is a homosexual. And I do not know what to think about that. <laughs> talking about his lifestyle and everything listen motherfucker you chainsaw girls for for kicks so i don't need you passing your judgment on my lifestyle when you're out there dismembering people right and why does he have an english accent if this is the kid that was from boston yeah the the the, the british accent really throws me off i'm very confused by this at the same time now mary is drugged and it has become paralyzed what is the drug that he gave her? Because it literally makes her unable to physically move, but her eyes are like looking around with fear. I don't know. And she like f- falls against the couch and she's like stiff. And she's like, I can't move. He's like, yes, those are the drugs I gave you. And he like l- looks at her feet and like pulls her high heels off. And then he goes and gets some plastic to put out under her feet. And he's like, I don't want to make a mess. Yeah, he he's he's pulling like a whole uh, like American cycle, like laying down a tarp. Mm-hmm. She's just like limply laying there, and like we're talking about women in this movie being like, you know, inept and incapable of defending themselves. And and Mary, like literally, it's almost like a joke to be honest. The fact that he gives her a drug that makes her unable to physically even move. She's just laying there like with a face of fear for the rest of the movie. Yeah, I mean, they they don't even give us a, a proper final girl. Like, no. she doesn't even get to save the day. Like, it's no. like the women in this film really are used as just props, props and that's about it. I mean, yeah. there's no woman in this film that is strong, that does anything of any significance. Um, other than know, scream with rage. Other than scream. And, you know, they set Mary up as to be kind of this final, you know, fighter. And she's not at all. Like... Not at all, because who comes to save the day? It's uh, Kendall and his buddies, the police officers, in tow. Yeah, they shoot. They actually shoot the door down, and they find Mary paralyzed on the couch. And the professor is hiding behind the curtain, and we know this because Mary is continuously staring at the curtain. Yeah. No matter no matter what position they're trying to move her body, and she's staring at the curtain, but she can't say anything, and she can't like do anything. But her eyes are fixated on this curtain. Yeah. And at this point, this is out, like the film has like morphed into a like a weird episode of Matlock because like you have these like two older police officers, you have an, like a middle-aged woman and you have like an older like assailant and they're all like everybody is at least in their 40s aside from Kendall and uh, everyone's moving kind of slowly nobody really has the energy to like go full sprint. So it's all just like a powerful jog from point to point. And um, yeah, it just feels like an episode of Matlock with more tits and more dicks and more blood. Yeah. Because finally the professor comes out from behind the curtains with a knife and attacks Kendall. And as he attacks Kendall, Kendall lets Mary go and she literally plops to the floor. <laughs> like a bag of potatoes. And, and Kendall at that point is like trying to help her walk. He's like, come on, Mary, we can do it. And Mary is like in agony. She's like, please let me just lay here. I can't control my bodily functions, let alone walk. And like her face is just like 
filled with like agony and like distress and and he's like cracking jokes he's like look you're basically sprinting now and like and mary's like please let me down but you can see the pain in her eyes <laughs> but he does he drops her and she falls to the floor and she can just stare and watch as the professor tries to stab kendall and you see the knife get closer and closer and closer until the detective comes in and shoots the professor in the head. There's not even like a big struggle or a big like, you know, how yeah. we like our slasher movies where there's a chase scene or a struggle. It's pretty quick. It's right to the point. But like the Dean is like when the when the the gunshot goes off and like it's smack dab in the middle of the Dean's forehead. And it's like literally just like a splat of red paint. It's very... um I mean, aside from being a bland effect, it's just really, uh, yeah, anticlimactic. Like, I would expect for a movie like this that's dealt with a villain, like, dismembering people and chainsawing women, I would anticipate, like, going all out for the final sequence. And it really just kind of is like a deflated balloon. Like, Yeah, it, it falls flat. It, it's, it's, it's rushed and it falls flat. There's no suspense no no anything and like i said anybody that has a brain knew who the killer was this entire film like just the timeline of 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 it the events he's the only one old enough to be the killer based on the opening scene that we find out is 1942 so once the professor's dead they're in the they're in the apartment clinic cleaning stuff up they do find the puzzle and they're like oh she's pretty hot and at the same time that this bookcase flips around and the rotted stitched together body falls onto Kendall and oh and Kendall's screaming he is freaking out out, which I this thing looks disgusting like it has to smell how did they not he has a better scream than oh he does how did they not smell this thing yeah I don't like this hidden like it literally is set up so that like the one detective leans against the door and it like flips around and rotates her and um it's so strategically placed like it's it's hard to take it seriously. The, both, like, there's another scene following this. This is also kind of hard to take it seriously, and you know what I'm talking about. But this, like, being like this being the ending, it really was like that's the finale. Like that hidden like room behind the bookshelf. There was a body. Like I don't know. It was just it's so far fetched. You know, it is. It is. And you're you're talking about the final scene. The final scene of the film is every after the body falls on Kendall, he's like. It must be a few minutes later and they're like, oh, Kendall, you got the scare of your life. And he's like, yeah, yeah, but my at least my heart's beating again. And they're like, okay, well, let's get out of here. And the body of this piece together woman is on the floor under a, a sheet and Kendall's like, oh, well, I got to get my jacket. And as he reaches down to get his jacket and put it on, the hand of this piece together woman comes out from the sheet, grabs his dick scratches and crushes it until it's a bloody pulp oh my god and he's just screaming as like you see her fingernails just dig into oh. his jeans and they rip off that beautiful horse dick and i was like oh my god are you really gonna crush me like this at the end of this movie you're gonna leave me with that how dare you pieces how dare you and what the fuck sense does it did this make what so the thing turned into a zombie 
Yeah, it makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. It's so far-fetched. I think it was like, honestly, that's shock exploitation. Like he's even like crossing his eyes and everything as his dick's getting ripped off. Like it's so extreme that it's obviously done for the shock of it and not for the storyline, which like, while it's like kind of a funny gag, I was like, did we really need that? Like, I get it. Yeah, your movie didn't hit as, the ending didn't hit as hard as we wanted it to. But this is not helping. No, the ending makes zero sense. It's It, it completely shifts like, tone and style like this is a slasher film right this is not a zombie film this is not a supernatural film this is not a you know people being resurrected film so what the hell was with this ending and who greenlit it and who let it get to the final film like yeah i i wonder if like based off what we're saying i wonder if they felt that the original ending was just and i mean i have no way to say this is the case i'm just curious like i wonder if that original ending just wasn't hitting and i wonder if they felt they needed something more you know like i i wonder if they felt like they needed that additional oomph because like it does it ends with a shock is it a good shock no but like at least it's something big but like it's i was not a, really a fan of the ending it was kind of in the moment i was like Haha, and i was like oh that yeah i mean i almost, i almost would have just preferred it end after the body falls onto kendall and he screams and it could have just ended there and that would have still been a i think more effective than what we get they they didn't need like this they didn't need yeah. this particular scene to follow that the film would have been perfectly fine ending after the body falls on him because we get the reveal of the body and that's yeah. all you really need we don't need this supernatural like twist to the film when nothing in the film so far had been supernatural there was no supernatural element to this film at all so i don't understand exactly yeah it was it really uh it it, it didn't make any sense and i i feel like they were trying to take the audience by surprise but instead now it just made it feel kind of dated that ending i mean the whole movie has a dated feel to it it's very much of the era but that ending especially was just unnecessary but whatever it's pieces the pieces of me it's pieces 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 of pieces of me so i'm glad you got (laughs) to see it finally Oh my God, me too. You know, I, I, for any criticisms I have, I had a great time watching and I really enjoyed it. I can think of plenty of my friends who I'm sure have not seen it, who I am excited to show it to. Um, the, carry, the, the, the character of Mary is uh, mind-boggling in her own right. Um, and I'm proud of her that she managed to get that hot piece of ass. Ideally, she got laid with it before his dick got ripped off. But uh, he definitely laid some smooches on that weathered face. And um, I'm hoping that they were able to find love in that hopeless place. We can only hope. We can only hope. Yeah. Um, we never did get a pieces too. So we don't know what the, what the fate of, um, you know, Kendall. Kendall it was or Mary. Did she ever get over her? Peril, peril, paralyzed. She's paralyzed. She's paralyzed forever. forever. It was a no, hell the, of one a de- the one detective does say she, she's going to be fine. Like he, he was reassuring. So, but maybe, maybe she's wheelchair bound to this very day. Who knows? Yeah. So that was pieces. Pieces. Troy, thank you. Thank you for introducing me to pieces. I really enjoyed it. Um, it was fucking absurd, but God, it was a good time. Right. It was a good time. It was a great time, honestly. So, yeah. So what's next? I don't know, Troy. You've got the next episode. Yes. And, you know, I'm thinking about it and 
Oh, I'm so excited. I'm sitting here tapping my feet. Yeah, I think, you know, I'm going to I'm going to go along with probably something that you haven't seen. Okay. Um, and it's it's a lot of fun. Uh, it's kind of an obscure movie, but I think that it definitely has some fans out there because when I've mentioned this title to people, they people that have seen it seem to really enjoy it. Uh, and it is a trauma film, but I don't want that to turn you off because it's okay. it's it's not a typical trauma film. It's it's actually okay. not what you're thinking in terms of over the top trauma film. We are going to cover the um, film. It's known by three different names, but the the name that it is kind of most commonly known as is uh, Dead Dudes in the House. Never even heard of it. Also known as House on Tombstone Hill. Okay. It is a late 80s entry into the sort of slasher slash evil dead um, genre. So it's about a group of students who or a group of people, a group of kids who buy a house to fix up to turn into um, something. And the house is haunted and possessed. It's very much along the lines of like we've, we we kind of watch the ev- evil laugh with that kind of same plot set up, but this one definitely has a supernatural feel to it because the, the, when the people get killed, they turn into zombies. Yes. Right up my alley. Perfect. I love a demon. I love a zombie. It's from 1989 and it was just released on Blu-ray by, Oh God, I don't want to get it wrong. But it was the Blu-ray is under the name The House on Tombstone Hill. Got it. Okay. Okay. Well, I'll definitely have to get my fingers on that one because, like I said, I've never heard of the title, but um, I mean, it sounds quite tantalizing. I can't lie. Yeah, no, I think you I think you will enjoy it as as much as you enjoy pieces. It's a lot of fun and it doesn't get the it doesn't get the attention that it deserves, which is why I chose it. I, you know, cho- choosing more obscure movies can be good and can be bad because a lot of times when you choose an obscure movie, if people have never heard of it, they might not listen to the episode. Right. Um, but I do feel like this one needs to be more well-known. Um, and-, well, and I also feel that the obscure ones, as much as they are like what you just said, you know, it might for all of the fans that it might turn off because they're not familiar. There's also the diehards that want to hear the titles that don't get as much attention, you know, because how many times have I heard, a podcast on, I don't know, mm-hmm. uh, Cabin in the Woods or, you know, like, you know, there's a lot of titles that are great, but like you hear so many opinions of them, you're only going to hear so many variations before it starts to sound like the same old, same old. I, I like that you pick titles that are fresh and different and new. And I think the fan base does too, based off what I'm hearing. Fans, I know you, you think it. So why don't you start saying it on our gosh darn iTunes podcast page and on our Facebook page and anywhere else that's hosting. Yeah. Right. Give us some suggestions. It was vinegar syndrome who released the Blu-ray and I actually bought it. And I I have the Blu-ray, the house on tombstone Hill Blu-ray. I have not watched it yet. So this is going to give me a great opportunity to watch the Blu-ray because when I first saw the film, I saw it on, I rented it on a VHS and it was very dark. 
Um, it suffered from that kind of dark syndrome of that you saw a lot of these slasher VHS slasher films in the 80s suffered from when you rented them, you could barely see what right. was going on. Like the mutilator, for example, and uh, right. to all a good night, the VHS transfers were very dark. And then when they released the Blu-ray, you see shit that you never saw before. So I'm hoping that's what happens with this particular title. Yeah. But I do really think it's one that you enjoy. And again, people that I have mentioned this title to uh, really love it. I mean, it has that it's very dark it has I and mean, when i say dark i don't mean dark like like stylistically but it's it's actually a dark movie like subject matter wise it's pretty it's pretty dark and it, it the low budget shows but i think what they do with the budget it makes it, it is really great and i think you're going to enjoy it well i like low budget and i like them dark so it sounds like my cup of tea I can't wait. I um I had a lot of fun with this one. Grapes aside, I had a lot of fun with this one. I never really care about the grapes because as long as a movie's entertaining, I'm on board. So yeah, um, House on Tombstone Row Hill Road. What was it? The house the House on Tombstone Hill. That's what I'm going to call the episode because that's the Blu-ray. The Blu-ray was at least released under House on Tombstone Hill. House on uh, Tombstone if you're, Hill. If you're looking for it on Tubi or whatever or wherever you're going to look for it, it may be under Dead Dudes in the House, which I always hated that name because I think it's that make it, it makes it sound like a stupid like yeah like chaw bro <laughs> yeah which it really it really isn't um yeah so but you'll find it you'll find it excellent I'm going to start looking for it tonight. All right. With that, guys, we got another one out. Another iconic film covered by Dark Knight of the Podcast. Look at we us. Are quick, we are quickly approaching 30. 30 yes, episodes. Yes. And I'm so excited because episode 30 will be falling like the week of my 35th birthday. Oh, wow. I know. What a celebration. What a celebration, dude. Yeah. So like we said, give us a, give us a rating on iTunes, you know, follow us on social media and just stick with us. We are having a blast doing this. Yeah. And it's only going to get better from here, guys. Thank you so much for sticking with us. And uh, until you, until next time, uh, we hope you enjoyed the pieces of me. All the pieces, 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 pieces pieces of of me. me.